And Brenda, as you begin your message, we just want to tell you we love you. We love you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. You guys have been such a blessing. I, I feel like you've taught me more, quite honestly, this weekend than I've taught you. It's just you have such a hunger and a thirst. You've inspired me as a pastor's wife um, and taking women to a, a deep, deep place in the Lord. So thank you so much for that. Um, as I was um, standing there and singing um, Oceans, um, those are bold words. Aren't they bold words? Take me farther than my feet would go, you know what I mean? Like, that's some bold words, because there's things that we always think of those things like, oh, take me, you know, to the highest of heights. But that means take me where you want to take me, Lord. And that can be a very difficult prayer. You know, um, you guys have found out that I'm quite a wimp, quite honestly. (laughs) I like shallow water. I don't like to go into the ocean when it's deep and there are things lurking. Like if seaweed touches my legs, I f- completely freak out. Anybody else? Am I the only? Oh, wimps unite. <laughs> yes. I knew I wasn't the only one. I love shallow water and I love to be able to see the, the sand and I love to be able to touch and get my footing and it's very safe in the shallow waters. But sometimes the Lord wants us in deep waters, doesn't he? He just wants to, there's been times in my life where I feel like he's picked me up out of the shallow water and he's just plopped me in the, in the deep end. And you know what I do? I'm headed for the shore. I'm like, I'm going to swim back. And then he'll just pick me up again and put me in the deep water. I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? You know I like shallow water. That's exactly what he's doing because there are lessons in the deep. There are lessons when we get into deep water, you learn how to tread. You learn that you can trust the Lord. You know, when it says that he never fails us, that he's never, even when he takes us beyond our own borders, he's never failed me, not once. He's never failed me. And so um, that may be a word for someone today. But um, this morning we're going to talk about rooted to bear fruit. You know, a ship in a harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. And us as believers, if we weren't built to produce fruit, then when we get saved, we would just go immediately to heaven, right? There would be no reason for us to stay on this earth. We would be saved and we would go to meet Jesus, but he has a work that he wants to do through us so that other people can glorify him. Romans 7, 4 says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead in the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. That's our job as a Christ follower. That's what we're to do. Now, if you're like me, I like some how-tos. I want to go to a conference and And yes, I want God to do an incredible work that only he can do, but I need something to latch on to. I want something that in my day is practical, that I can go, okay, these are the steps I can take. Anybody else just kind of want some steps? So I'm going to give you some steps this morning in bearing fruit. Now, the big question that I always have when it comes to uh, this idea of bearing fruit, because you'll hear like on one side, okay, abide, wait, 
On the other side, it's I'm supposed to do something. I'm supposed to be obedient. So you go, well, which is it? Do I wait or do I go? Do I be or do I do? Right? Anybody else have that question? You're like, oh, am I supposed to wait? Am I supposed to go? Well, yes. Aren't you glad I cleared that up for you? <laughs> okay, we can go home. <laughs> yes. Our standing in Christ, our position in Christ, we can do nothing apart from accepting his free gift. But in our obedience to Christ, I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. So I don't work for my salvation. I work from my salvation because all the things that he's given me, because what he's done, because of the price he's paid on the cross, I then have no, I have no desire except for to be obedient to him. So the key this morning is to remain in him, then he will produce the fruit. Realizing I can't do anything apart from Christ, as I abide, the natural byproduct is fruit. So we want to focus on abiding. John fifteen four says, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you, unless you abide in me. I think it was St. Augustine who said, you pray like everything depends on God, and you work like everything depends on you. I love that quote. Matthew 7 to 17, every good fruit, every good tree produces good fruit. Every bad tree produces bad fruit. I'm going to rattle off a couple of verses that I just wrote down really quick. John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Those are all fruits of the Spirit. We are known by our fruit. We read in Matthew 13 yesterday that good ground bears fruit. We read also that in the thorns, there's no fruit that's bared. There's no fruit to maturity. Well, like I told you, I don't have much of a green thumb. And you already heard about my poor lemon tree. But now I have a poor pomegranate tree. So I love pomegranates. Anyone else love pomegranates? And the tree is so cute. It's like got all these little red, it looks like a Christmas tree. It's got all these little red balls on it. And um, they're shining. I just can't wait for them to, to ripen. So I've always been a lover of pomegranate trees. So I got my first pomegranate tree. And it was fruiting, and it was in my backyard. And I was like, honey, that, that would look so good in our front yard where everybody can see it. Yeah. It's white. <laughs> this thumb is white. So you know what happened when I transplanted my fruiting tree. How many gardeners in the room? Like, that's a bad idea, right? Transplanting a fruiting tree. You don't transplant while you're fruiting. <laughs> and so as soon As we took that tree and cut the root out of its favorable environment, it wasn't abiding. What happened? It it died. It was so cute, too. So pretty. And it died. And all my fruit died. And sometimes um, we think that abiding is um, being near something. My husband calls it the spillover. There are people who will come to church and when things are happening around you and you, and you see, you feel God moving, you can be in a room where God's doing some amazing things and it makes you feel good. 
but then you're not getting victory during the week. Why? Well, you're seeing it in other people's life, but you haven't taken it on for yourself. And we need to be um, asking God that we could, abiding is, a, is an attachment. Have you ever seen a plant, a tree being grafted in? I mean, they do the slice and, and they slice the branch and they actually shove it in and then they wrap it so that it will grow together. Well, there might be some, if you're around that, you might feel the, the fruit of that, but it, it's not within you. It's not within your own heart. Abide is a verb. It's active. It's not passive. Um, so we're gonna, I'm going to give you five practical steps that will kind of help you along the way and make you um, be able to kind of decide how you're going to make a decision. Because sometimes there's, like, we have a, the, a thing that we're trying to maybe get rid of or trying to deal with, and maybe this process will help you. So I'm going to give you five I'll list them first. It's the problem, the solution, the results, the method, and the finish line. (coughs) Problem, solution, results, the method, the finish line. Now, I'll give you an example. Let's say... We're struggling with gossip. So the problem, gossip. What would be the solution? Well, kindness, fruit of the spirit, kindness. What would be the results? Kind speech, love, trust, unity, peace, all all kinds of results. What would be the method? Slow your roll, right? <laughs> what, yes, slow to speak, right? Quick to listen. What would be the finish line then? A proven character, integrity, right? You, this is a reputation's built over a lifetime. It can be damaged like that, right? So you would have that, you would have those things. So let's go through these steps and we'll talk about being. Um, Because our text today goes through being barren and being fruitful. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 again, and we'll finish up in verses 8 through 11. Second Peter chapter 1. We're doing a retreat in two weeks. My retreat's in two weeks. Guess what the theme is? Beautifully rooted. (laughs) So I have a lot of studying that I've already done. (laughs) All right, 2 Peter um, chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. For if these things, which he was talking about, we talked about earlier, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we take the first one, and it's 
Anytime you want to um, solve a problem, you have to identify the problem, right? Anytime you want to solve it. So we're identifying it as barrenness. Barren, if you want to circle that word and write nearby it, it literally means at leisure, lazy, shunning labor that one ought to perform. I mean, just say it like it is, right? <laughs> Unfruitful, not yielding. Well, that sums it up pretty quick, right? Verse 8, um, that phrase that says, are yours and abound, that literally means that, that it's an ownership. They are yours and they do abound. God has supplied them. It's literally in abundance, enough, too much. And there's also an idea of possession, that not only do we own it, but that we have to possess it. These things need to occupy us. We need to own them. If these things that he mentioned are fruit or the evidence of the knowledge of God, then barrenness is a contradiction and a denial of that knowledge, isn't it? So there are things in our life, and you guys know this by experience, that if we go down the path to do, we have to deny the knowledge of God to be able to do it, right? Francis Chan in his book Crazy Love, in, he said this, um, is this idea of a non-fruit-bearing Christian something that we have concocted in order to make Christianity easier so that we can follow our own course while still calling ourselves Christ followers? I think that's a huge, like, we need to take a walk with that because I think that's what the outside world is seeing in the church right now. We want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing. But when someone comes up, we're like, praise the Lord. I'm a Christian. We're shouting it out. And then people look at our lives. No wonder they call us hypocrites because we're not walking according to this word. Look at verse 9. It says, for he who lacks these things, lacks means deny categorically and absolutely and he calls us short-sighted and blind one um afternoon i was driving down the freeway and all of a sudden um you know when you look at your computer screen when it's really dark and the screen's so bright you have to turn it down well all of a sudden that's what the light felt like and when you turn on a channel and you get the snow you know like a channel that's not supposed to work it's called visual snow well, that's what was going on in my eyes. And I couldn't see, like, the exit sign. Like, I could see half a word, but not the other part of the word. And So I could see out of my peripheral vision, but I couldn't see. It was just all, like, snowy. And I'm driving, <laughs> you know, totally unsafe. And it's snowy. It lasted about 20 minutes. Well, I found out that, and I kept having these episodes over about a six-month period like, and they would always last about 20 minutes, and I would always get the snow and the, the bright lights. So went to the doctor, and they said that's called an ocular migraine. I didn't have a, a headache with mine. Some people do. Has anybody else had an ocular migraine? Oh, okay. Gosh, I'm like in a good group this weekend. Um, but, but it caused a blind spot. They're not harmful at all, they, so they tell me. I don't know. I'll let you know, but... Um, they're not harmful at all, but they're, they're very bothersome when, when they come because you can't hardly do anything but just close your eyes and wait for the 20 minutes. That's a blind spot. I had no depth. I couldn't, I couldn't see 
That's what he's talking about when he's saying you're short-sighted, you're blinded. Wiersbe said, life's too brief and the needs of the world are too great for God's people to be walking around with their eyes closed. Amen to that. Verse nine, uh, 9 continues, and he has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. What he's saying is, if we're blind, if we're short-sighted, if we don't own these things, if we're lazy and at our leisure, then we're going to doubt our very salvation. We're going to forget that God cleansed us in the first place. You know, sometimes it's good to get a, a big picture view, right? Kind of like you're up in the airplane and you're at 36,000 feet and you can look down and you can see the whole landscape. That's why I love retreats. I think it's time to get away and it gives us that opportunity to just kind of take a big picture view of our lives, doesn't it? Kind of get, get away and get alone. And I think that when I was preparing this, the Lord um, just kind of gave me a word for someone that you know, what is God doing in the grand scheme of things in my life? And here's the specific word, that you have tunnel vision, and God wants you to know he knows the big picture. He knows the beginning from the end. And sometimes we can't see what he's doing. We must get away from, being, from fruit being what we do and turn it into fruit being who we are in Christ Galatians 3.3 says, Are you so foolish after being by means of the Spirit are now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, we're going to take a look at verses 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart, that's his inner man, departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert, that's barren, and shall not see, blind, when good comes, but shall inhabit, that means dwell or abide, the parched lands of the wilderness in the salt land, which is not inhabitable. One um, morning I was on my bed, and sometimes I'll, when you study a lot, you just need, new scenery. You just need different play, right? Am I right? You just need a different view. So sometimes I'll get the spread out on my bed, the commentaries, my, my computer, and, and I'll sit there. And my little grandson, Holland, he's four. He just comes running in and he's like, Nani, what are you doing? And I said, I'm studying. He goes, oh, what are you studying? I go, oh, Holland, I'm studying about spiritual warfare and I'm studying about battles and bad guys, and all of a sudden, he jumps up on the bed, and he starts doing his best ninja moves, like he's got his Spider-Man underwear on, mind you, that's it, just his little Spidey undies, and he's just like, I can kill the bad guys, and he's like, arr, and he's just doing all these little moves, and it was so cute, but I thought, oh, you're not a very fierce opponent, Holland, <laughs> Like, because if somebody came in and just gave him, someone with power came in and just gave him a shove, he'd be on the ground and defeated, and he'd be crying, not thinking that he was this way. But why did he think that? He thought he was strong, but his flesh really in reality was very weak. And that is us. When we go up against a fierce enemy, you know what? Our flesh is weak. We need the power of Christ to be able to fight that off. And we think we can handle it, but we can't. So number two, the solution. 
The solution to being barren is abiding in Christ. Literally, that means to remain or to be present. I love that. I love that definition, to be present. Be present with Christ. Abiding comes with choices. There are those, have you heard this? There are those that make things happen. There are those that watch things happen. And then there, was, there are those that go, what happened? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> what group are you in? Do you make things happen? Do you watch things happen? Or you come in like, hey, what's going on? My personal testimony, about 10 years into being saved, and I had been in, I mean, we literally... Pretty much, like, I, I would say I was saved right at the beginning of marriage, but I didn't have any fruit, like I told you guys. But then um, our salvation story was basically we planted a church right after we got saved. My husband was not the, the senior pastor at the time, but we didn't have a church in our community, and those were the days when you can call Costa Mesa and, and ask them to send a pastor. They had the pastor's wanted list. So we did that. The next week, we had a pastor in our living room, and we were starting a church. Like, seriously, my, my husband goes, if you would have told us Habunkus was a book of the Bible, we might have believed you. Like, <laughs> seriously, it was all God. But as we were planning this church, and I began to grow, and I began to mature, I was at a retreat just like this, and God hammered me with a scripture. And this is what it was. It was from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. I mean, if that scripture just fell on me, and I took it to heart because God was telling me, like, you're staying in your infantile state, and you really should be moving on to maturity. I had made choices in my life, and they weren't good ones. I made a choice to go to the gym instead of stay home and study. I made choices to watch TV and stay home from women's Bible study. I made choices that I would rather go have fun than sit at my computer and learn about his word. Training's hard work. If you've trained in anything, if you've gone to school, if you've worked out, you know training is difficult. It's no different in the word of God. I was an infant sucking on milk. I still needed a bottle, and I still needed people to spoon-feed me the word. That was the only way that I was getting fed from the pulpit, someone spoon-feeding me. From a women's Bible study, somebody spoon-feeding me, and God's like, it's time. It's time for you to dig in the word, and it's time for you to know me, and it's time for you to sit and have the discipline to get to know me. And I had to make different choices. You know, sometimes we marvel at the maturity of people. And we think, I want to do what they do. You can. You can. There was a a speaker, and I don't know if it was Joyce Meyer or Beth Moore, and I'm not endorsing either one. It's just for the sake of the story. They had asked them, someone was asking them, like, oh, it just seems so neat. You get to travel all over the world, and you get to, to speak to women all over the place. 
And that just sounds like so fun. And the, the person that was interviewed said, you know, I wonder if they would spend eight hours a day studying the word. Because the people that teach, the people that write books, do you know where they sit most of the day, Monday through Friday? At a desk with their books out. Am I right? You're studying and studying and studying. And sometimes I have to say no to some fun things. I might get an invite to lunch and I say, you know what? I, I can't do that right now because I want to be obedient to what God has called me to do. And maybe you're here and God, this, you know, last night poured out his gifts upon you. He gives us gifts to use them. If somebody gives you a gift and you set it on the counter, it's useless. You have to plug it in. You have to turn it on for the blender to actually work. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like God's given us gifts to use them. And some of you, you're just fearful. You're just fearful to use them. You know, I don't know a speaker around that gets up here and does not understand the fear of God. And they're still nervous. For the first probably five years, I had to put a lifesaver or something in my mouth because I would get such dry mouth when I went to speak. It was nerve-wracking nerve-wracking and in your gifts you know how that is when God gives you a gift it's scary to use the first time but you just have to do it scared because God's given it he has provided and distributed all we do is give it out that's our job it was a wake-up call for me and I had to wean myself and I needed to make different choices and discipline was indicated Some of you need to wean yourself from the things of the world and take on the things of God. Jeremiah, um, going on in verse 7 and 8, which is the good news, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, abiding in Christ. For he shall be like a tree planted or attached, grafted in by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. That means it's growing and it's luxuriant and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Amen to that. Thank you, Jesus. So number three, the results. The results are fruitfulness here on earth. John 15, 8 again says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So our focus, when our focus is abiding, guess what happens? The homeless do get fed. And the gospel does get shared. And the widows get taken care of. And the orphans get visited. And your families are blessed by you abiding in Christ. The fruits and the works come when we stay connected to the vine. John 15, 1 and 2 says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that he would bear more fruit. When we're a fruit producer, we have to understand that God is pruning is going to be necessary so that he can produce more fruit. Any of you that are gardeners know that. You know, why do you cut it back? Why not just let it grow wild? Well, the first year it might have a good yield, but you know in years to come that pruning is necessary for growth. Hebrews twelve eleven says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained 
by it. How do we abide? It's back to the basics. It's always back to the basics, isn't it? It's always prayer, studying his word, communing with him. Number four, the method. The method of barrenness is twofold. It's communion with Christ and it's community with others. Communion in Christ. I'm, you know, you'll hear people say, I'm just abiding in the Lord. Did you read your Bible today? Nope, I'm just abiding, sister. Abiding, abiding in the Lord. You know what I mean? Like it's not just enough to say it. Like I said, it's a verb. It's something that we need to do. Now the opposite spectrum could be true, right? We could be doing and doing and working and it's completely fruitless because we're still not attached to the vine. So the method is genuine communion with God, koinonia, which means an association, a fellowship, a joint partnership to spend time in the word and prayer, asking God for wisdom and asking him for understanding and confessing to him and repenting of our sins. You know, many of you, you asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit last night. And that's what he can do for us. He can give us understanding. When you go to read your word, you ask him, Lord, give me wisdom. Because a lot of times what I'll hear is women will say, you know, I read the Bible, but I don't, under- I don't comprehend it. I don't understand it. Ask the Holy Spirit. He says he'll give us wisdom liberally if we ask, and he'll give us understanding. And I can't tell you the amount of testimonies that I've had where women will come and say, you know what? After you prayed for me for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden the word just opened up to me. I totally, has that been any of your experiences? The word just totally opened up and I could understand it because the Holy Spirit was guiding and he was leading. The second is um, community with others. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up the love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as the day is approaching. In other words, time is short. Jesus is coming, and we need to stick together and encourage one another, walk in love and in good works. I was in Colorado a few months back. Ted's on a board in Eagle, Colorado, and we were um, he was at a board meeting and preaching there on Sunday. And we drove, they live in Eagle, so you have to drive through Vail to get back down to Denver to fly out. And there's amazing aspen trees in Colorado. And I was looking at all the aspens, and I was like, just marveling, like, wow, those are beautiful. And our friend Eric said, do you, do you know about aspens? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, they're all joint together. They're all hooked together in their root system. They look individual, but underground, they're, they're all like from one seedling. And I thought that was fascinating. Um, They typically grow in what's called clonal colonies derived from a single seeding. A clonal colony is a group of genetically identical individuals such as plants, fungi, and bacteria all originating from from a single ancestor. Above ground, these plants appear to be distinct individuals, but underground they remain interconnected as the clone of the same plant. Now, we're not clones, but we certainly do come from one ancestor, and we are all to be joined together. The purpose of the church is for the saints. The church was birthed for the saints of God, and it was established. It's not just a place of fellowship. It's a place of worship 
It's a place of discipleship. It's a place of prayer, service, of evangelism. Those are the things that go on in the church. And it's a, our genetic marker is Christ, and it's where we stay rooted, and it's where we stay grounded, and it's where we stay in community with one another. Ephesians 2, 20 through 22 says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in him, the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple of God. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for the spirit of God. And Romans twelve five says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. We're little aspen trees <laughs> all together. Ephesians 4.16 says, For whom the whole body being joined and held together by every joint which is equipped. And I want you to hear this. When every part is working properly, it makes the whole body grow so that it is built itself up in love. Did you know that you're a vital part of your church? You're a vital part. We are one body, all the members working together. And your part in your church determines the health and the growth of the church. Everyone should be using their gifts and working together. That's what the Bible says brings a healthy church. So number five, the finish line. Look at verses uh, 10 and 11. We get results here on earth, but we also get results in heaven. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. If you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into an everlasting kingdom, into our Lord Jesus Christ. Another promise. If you do these things, he's saying, not only, he said earlier, not only will you not not be neither barren nor unfruitful, but now he's saying, if you do these things, you will never stumble. And an entrance will be supplied. Spurgeon says this about that entrance. It's been said that the entrance is to be ministered to us. Christ will open the gates of heaven. But the heavenly train of virtues, the works which follow us, will go up with us and minister an entrance upon us. And you and I both know as we get to meet Jesus face to face and we get to throw those crowns, Back at his feet, the rewards that we've been given. Our faith someday will become fact. Do you believe that? We're going to be able to see Jesus face to face. No more tears. No more pain. No more sorrow. Can you just imagine the day? I mean, I thought about that when my mom went home to be with the Lord. I thought, oh my goodness. Like she gets to stare Jesus right there face to face. Everything that we've been talking about, and I often thought, I wonder if she's sitting there going, boy, Ted and Brenda had it wrong, you know? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) There's some things were probably a mystery that we're going to go, oh, thank you, Jesus, that you covered us in those moments. It doesn't, have you heard the song, it don't matter where they bury me, because I'll be home and I'll be free. It don't matter where I lay, because all my sins will be washed away. I wish I could sing like you. So, don't matter where you bury me. Is that how it goes? I'll be home and I'll be free. Sounds much better when Josh White sings it. But um, in, um, I want to end with this because I think this is kind of where we started and we'll just come full circle and we're almost done. In Second Peter um, chapter 1, 
You'll notice the first two words that he says is Simon Peter, a bondservant, right? Simon was his given name. Peter was his name given by Jesus. This is a man who never forgets who he is apart from Christ, right? Ladies, let's remember who we are apart from Christ and always remember that we dwell in Christ and he causes us to grow and he causes us to produce fruit. And I want to end with these two scriptures, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship means we're his poem. He is writing a God story in our lives. And the last one is Colossians 2, 7, kind of a theme verse, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Has God rooted you this weekend? Has he shown you? I mean, just the analogies. I've got a good grasp now on what it means to have faith, to grow, to bear fruit. He's strengthened us and he's encouraged us. And now we have to go back and face reality. And we want to be able to take this knowledge of God with us and be able to do that. So I thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, You're so precious. Can I just pray for you guys one more time before we go? Father, we thank you. You get all the praise and the honor and the glory for what you've done here this weekend, Lord. You, you are the distributor of the goods. Thank you for the opportunity to sit and to listen to you. Thank you that you've uh, cut things out of our hearts that we need to leave here. Thank you for encouraging us that you love us deep and wide and high and in the dark places. I just pray for these women right now as they go into different parts and some going home to difficult situations. Lord, be their strength. Strengthen us. Give us um, what we need. Give us your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we can walk in the newness of life that you've provided for us. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we do it in great gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. Just, I'm like... Just one quick word to the the ladies that um, accepted Christ last night. You know, it's been said you came forward and now it's time to go forward. Make sure you're staying in fellowship in a Bible teaching, God-believing, Holy Spirit-leading church and get grounded in your faith. Amen. What a weekend we have had. Amen? Is there one woman brave enough that actually wrote a letter from God to yourself and you haven't sealed it and you want to come up and read it? Just one woman. Whoever can Okay, back there in the back. Back row. quite funny that you said that because when he wrote this letter he gave me the okay to share it and I wasn't sure where I was going to share it who I was going to share it with so forgive me 
if I cry because he's just mighty and wow. Oh, God. Um, okay. Okay. It says, a letter to my sweet child. You try to please me and think that you aren't. You don't know, uh, hold on, don't you know that I love you? I am so pleased to call you my precious child. As a father looks and cherishes his baby girl, even more so do I cherish you. I want to take your burdens and pain, just be willing to lay them at my feet. You are my dear sweet daughter whom I chose before the foundations of the world. I see the unjust done to you, and uh, I am the judge. Let it go. I have my ven- I will have my vengeance on them. I am the Lord your God. Child, do not fret what life throws at you. Nothing comes near you if I don't allow it. I am growing you, molding you, maturing you to be more like me. I am answering your prayers. Let me take full control. You will never regret it. Help, uh, sorry, keep your eyes focused on me. I created you. Rest in my peace, joy, and sufficiency. You are grounded in me. And when your eyes are on me, nothing will shake you. The enemy wants to come and make you think you are not in me. But sweet daughter of mine, you are. I can't wait to hug you. But it is not your time to come home yet. I am sufficient for everything you could ever need. Trust in me, daughter. I will never let you go without one thing you need. I am your beloved father, and I love my child. I will never see her lack any good thing. Let me heal you from your past. Thank you for being here with me, setting apart time with me. I cherish our mornings where I am able to teach you and guide you. Let your soul rest in me. You will never go thirsty if you cling to me. I am your living water. Too often, sweet daughter, you beat yourself up. You think you don't understand my ways. But daughter, you live out what you learn. You do understand. I am glad to see you. Uh, I am glad to see when you take my word seriously and live in it. I know you sin. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. But I sent my son that you may be forgiven. You are a mighty warrior. Don't let the enemy steal your confidence in who you are in me. I am always here for you and love you way more than you will ever understand. The enemy wants to distract you from your blessings in me. Don't let him. Seek me and you will always find me. I am waiting on you to seek me that I may spend beautiful time with you. You are welcome for your children and your husband, and I am glad when you thank me for them. I am so glorified when you seek to be more of a woman, mother, and wife that I have called you to be. It brings me great joy. I will bless these relationships. Please forget the people's past sins they have committed to you in the past. Know that I love you, and this is a new starting point in your walk with me. I'm waiting to heal you. Just put it in my hands. I promise to always be there for you. I love you, and I promise to speak to you.
I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love you. Thank you for being an open vessel for me to pour into others and bless others. Stop being shy when people say that you are that blessing. Just look to me with thanksgiving, for I am answering your prayers. Daughter, don't let the enemy make you doubt. I hear you, and I will answer. I find a true heart of a worshiper in you. (laughs) I love you, daughter, and you are my sweet daughter. Uh, You will be with me in heaven. How sweet it is to trust in me. You are at a tender stage where I am doing many, many things. Just trust in me. Remember, eyes not on Jessica or this worldly circumstances, but eyes on me. Be still and know that I am God. I am your father, and I am well pleased in you. Love, Dad. P.S. Almighty God. Don't ever forget, you are mine, and I am yours. I am just as astounded as you are at what we just saw. And that was from the Lord. And what he's trying to show you, that's abiding. That was a word of knowledge that the Lord gave me. I'm not special. (laughs) I'm not super spiritual. It's just learning to abide and know his voice. And I was talking to a young woman yesterday and I talk to so many that go, I just don't know when it's the Lord. Like, I don't know when I hear his voice. And I would say to you today, you know his voice. Start responding to it, the nudges, the compulsion, the things that are confirmed in the word, all those things. I think he just gave you a beautiful moment, and he, and he gave you a beautiful moment. And that's a God thing, right? So let's just rejoice in that, that the Lord did that. Well, the way we want to end our weekend is in communion. I mean, what better place to end our time than to come before the Lord and to remember? And that's what Jesus calls it. He says it's a time of remembrance, to remember what Christ did for us on Calvary, to remember God's great love, to remember how it all began, to remember how it's all going to end. It truly is a love story for us. And so in light of our theme, I'm just we're just going to remember, we're going to re- do a quick reminisce of God's story for us. And, and in light of our theme, I want you to pay attention to the tree. You see, God is a planner. We see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, that in the very beginning, when he spoke the world into existence, everything he created in the world, it says he spoke it in, let it be, and it happened. But then he planted a garden eastward in Eden. And I like this picture. I like to imagine 
God as a gardener, and I like to think he gardens like I would, you know, barefoot, no gloves. I want to, like, be in the soil. I just want to get down and dirty and get sweaty and just enjoy um, creation. And I I don't know, maybe he doesn't garden that way. That's how I picture him gardening. Um, But what I do know is that he's a good gardener, and we're told in Genesis that, that the Garden of Eden, it was full of beautiful trees and lush fruit all over, um, the choicest fruit. And in the midst, the very center of that garden, he planted the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he placed Adam and Eve right there in the center. What a beautiful picture we have there and how God would join Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening and they would walk. And what happens when you walk? You talk, right? When you go for a walk with a friend or a spouse or a child, when you walk, you talk. What do they talk about? Do you ever think about that? How their day was? I'm sure they talked about the animals. Eve's probably talking about what she's going to take from the garden and make for dinner. I don't know. But they talked, right? They had fellowship. I'm sure God revealing more and more of himself to them. They were friends of God, but we know the story. God commanded Adam that you may freely eat any fruit in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge. For its fruit will open your eyes to make you aware of right and wrong, good and bad. And if you eat its fruit, you will be doomed to die. Like, can you picture when he says this? It's not like he comes and commands, and if you touch it, you're going to die. It's like, it's like us, that heart of a, a mom for a child, right, when we warn them. You know, it's here. Don't do it. Don't touch it, because then you'll be doomed to die. So picture this. So they're like, okay, they trusted God. And so they're running about in the garden. They're hanging out, I believe, at the tree of life, right? I would think that that would be the choicest fruit, the best, sweetest fruit to eat from. They're, they're just enjoying the tree of life. And all the time, that tree of knowledge is right there in the midst, and it's not a problem. Because they're just trusting their God. They're, they're obeying their Lord. And so... They're just eating of the tree of life. But, oh, we know the day came when Satan came, and he's cunning, and he's deceitful, and he came, and he tempted Eve and Adam, and they ate, they disobeyed, they succumbed to that temptation. And in that instant of wrong choice, their lives were altered forever, forever from life to death spiritually, from the presence of God to eternal separation from God, from being blessed to now he has to pronounce cursings upon them, from blessed to curse. Can you imagine how grieved Father God was over this? And you know, it was not God's anger that drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. I hope you know that. It, has not, it was not anger at them. It was his great mercy, and we learn that mercy is his goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness. He drove them out because he didn't want them to be stuck in that place of now being in a sin state. He didn't want them to be there for eternity 
to be spiritually dead and separated for always. And so he had to force them out of the garden. Have you ever thought about that? He didn't say he asked them to leave. He literally, like, I know me, I'd be, no! I'd be, like, you know, hanging on, please don't make me leave the garden. Don't let me leave your presence. But in his great mercy, he had to force them out of the garden. He had to put an angel up there. He had to put a flaming sword at the entrance. I'm so grateful the story doesn't end there. Because we know that for hundreds of years, God kept scattering seeds of hope and faith and love upon the world, upon mankind, through his prophets, He would come, but sadly, it wasn't taking root for most because we told in the word it was a dry ground. So God, who's rich in his mercy, he planted Jesus. He planted Jesus. He's the life giver. He planted him in the soil of this earth. We read last night in Isaiah chapter 53.1 that he grew up before God as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground as a banner for his people. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. Jesus came. He was planted here. And we read here in chapter 61 that says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is Jesus. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praises for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So you and I are planted in Christ. The whole goal of Jesus' coming was that we would be then trees of righteousness. What a beautiful, beautiful Picture And Jesus knew after those three years of sowing seed, sowing seed, sowing seed, that he would ultimately have to face another tree. It was another tree that God planted in the midst of this world. And we know that that is the tree of Calvary, a tree that he willingly came and hung on and died on in order to bear the fruit of salvation for us. There's fruit from Calvary. It's the fruit of salvation for you and I. John 12, 24, it says, Truly, truly, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so he went to Calvary, and he was nailed there. He went to the tree, the only tree, that could bear the one who could bear the sins of all. Only the tree of Calvary could bear the one that could bear the sins of all. Praise the Lord. So he hung, he suffered, 
He took upon himself our sin. He became sin for us, and we're told that he became cursed. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus became cursed for you and me so that we could be blessed, and it pleased the Father. And now God the Father, he says, come, come, I've made a new way for you to enter back into my presence, back into the Garden of Fellowship, back into my, new, my kingdom. And I've, I've, so come to the cross, partake of Christ and live. Partake of Christ and live, and it's free. God did not spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. So how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And Brenda talked about that in Second Peter. And remember, it says that we have been given all things. For what? For life and for godliness in Christ. So if you've believed and you've received, you've eaten of the fruit of salvation of Christ himself. Now we know from this morning, we've talked about it. You're abiding in him. He's the vine. We're the branches. Jesus is the tree of life. And ladies, you are his righteous tree. And his desire is that you would bear much fruit for him. Proverbs 12, 3, the root of the righteous cannot be moved. Proverbs 12, 12, the root of the righteous yields fruit. You all know Psalm 1, right? How how can we be blessed and be fruitful when we're not standing and listening to this world and and all its wisdom and and counsel? But but no, we're in the presence of God. We're abiding by him. And then we're going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that's going to bring forth its fruit in season and And your leaf will not wither, and whatever you do will prosper. And girls, here's the beauty of it all. is that the story hasn't ended yet. Because one day, we will stand face to face before Christ and before God the Father in his presence. And guess what's there waiting for us? The tree of life. Have you ever thought about that? The tree of life is there waiting for you, and you and I, we get to partake. We didn't miss out. Even though Adam and Eve blew it, we still are going to go and for eternity be able to eat from the tree of life. Oh, it gives me chills. I mean, like, can you not wait to just grab a hold of some of that fruit and eat it? Revelations 22, 1 and 2. And I'm going to go have faith come up, and and, um, we're going to get ready to partake in, in communion. But Revelation 22, 1 and 2 says, tells us that there is a river of pure water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. It's coursing down the center of Main Street, and on each side of the river grows the tree of life. Christy, why don't you come on up too? So we're going to take a few minutes, and I just want you to close your eyes. And just take a moment to give thanks to the Lord and to remember this love story. And we're going to sing a worship song. And then after that, um, we're going to begin to pass out um, the bread and the cup. And Christy will lead you in that. Um, But just everyone, just settle in, close your eyes. And we're just going to worship the Lord. Let this settle in, the great love of God. Oh, how deep his love. Amen.